rushed to the back room of the hospital and about five or six nurses and including a doctor came in to, uh, you know, do the, everybody has their jobs and someone's uh, blood pressure, someone's asking a question, someone asking mm-hmm. questions. Um, I remember this one nurse and this is where me thinking that my panic would die down um, just took a left turn. This one nurse leans over to Daniela and she goes, um, this is happening. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And I, I broke down at that moment. What was supposed to be a joyful event turned into this day that I didn't even want to experience because it was just not going to happen. You are listening to Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? This is your host, Terry Glenn Harris, and welcome to a brand new episode of Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast. Listen, I'm so excited about my next guest here with me today, this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whatever time you're listening to this podcast episode, I'm so grateful and and thankful and excited about my next guest. Um, As you can hear, I'm saying guests with an S, plural, because I have two, two people who I have gotten the chance to know, and I am thankful to have gotten the chance to know one who I met when I was um, working for the school district. And of course, he's directly connected to her, so I met him through her, and it's been, you know, positive and just rewarding all together. He is a current police officer, and I'm not going to tell you the city. If you know him, then you know what city he's a police officer in. And that's enough for that. And then she is someone who I used to work with when we were both working for a local school district. So ladies and gentlemen, here to share their story in an episode called The Rainbow After the Storm. I would like to welcome to Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast, Mr. and Mrs. Saul and Daniela Bonita. Thank you. Thank you. That was a beautiful introduction. It's good when the people you're introducing enjoy the introduction. Saul and Daniela, again, thank you all so much for taking the time out of your day, taking the time, um, you know, away from togetherness and, you know, coming on the podcast to tell your story. Saul and Daniela, how long have the two of you, I know, but for the audience, the listeners, how long have you two been married? We've been married for four years now. <laughs> four years. Yes. Yes. Now, the people can't see the look you just gave them, but, you know, she just gave him a look like, how long we've been married, babe? How long we've been married? <laughs> I, always go, I always go five years just to be safe, and I'm always corrected. It's four years. It's four years. Yeah. Okay, okay. It was four years back in June. Yes. We've been nice. for four years, but we've been together for nine years. It'll be 10 years. Um our dating anniversary will be next March. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. Like, and the fact that you still remember anniversaries like that shows you're with your person because some people are like, Oh my gosh, we've been married for years. If it's like 40 years, (laughs) I get it. Yeah. (laughs) 
but that's not true. So that's that's a good thing. That is a good thing. So you've been married four years. What brought the two of you together? You, so, to you can answer that. So we met in college, um, and we actually had a couple of classes together, and we we never like talked or anything like that. I just saw him coming into class like anybody else, um, and then it was just one March, like it mm -hmm. was the middle of March, yeah. and we just sparked up a conversation and. The conversation turned into like a six hour conversation in the library and ever since then it hasn't stopped it's just never stopped <laughs> yeah so y'all y'all were talking when you should have been reading and studying <laughs> she did class or two i did not <laughs> your parents must be proud they must be. <laughs> we made it and that's what counts and, and got those degrees so yeah. that's what counts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we did. They, they didn't waste their money so yes. that's a good thing <laughs> not at all now we all know what tradition says when it comes to getting engaged you know go ask my dad and you know get on one knee and the male asks the lady but we also know that it is the year 2022 and Tradition is so far gone and out the window. Not necessarily a bad thing because people are starting their own traditions. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just going to be safe and ask who proposed. So, so speaking of tradition, I actually did go the traditional route. Okay. Uh, I asked not only her father, but her mother for their blessing. Um, afterwards, I let my parents know of the intentions that I had with Daniela, that I was serious, that mm -hmm. I was looking to purchase a ring. And we had a trip, I believe it was back in 2016, down to New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was one night, we were bar hopping. I had the ring in my pocket, and I was scared to death. And um, we were walking alongside of the Mississippi, and it was a beautiful park down, down near the Steamboat Natchez. And I, quote unquote, had a toe pain. That was my knee. Yeah. We were walking all day long, I was in flip flops. And as soon as I got on my knee, pulled the ring out, I didn't even finish my question, and she was already saying yes. Yeah. Wow. I didn't tell no. okay. <laughs> Listen, at least that that that's you know because once you drop down to one knee, they already know mm -hmm. what it's going to be. So you know the jumping up and down and the you know yes yes yes. That was um, well. That's good. Exactly what happened. <laughs> Because, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but whether we've talked about getting married a million times or we've talked about getting married once, will you marry me will always be the scariest question a man will ever ask to a woman. Because we know, but we don't. Yes. Yeah. And he described it exactly how myself, I'm sure thousands and millions of other men feel out there we know but we don't when he proposed he was so nervous and we had talked about marriage and like every you know our lives for so long that I, it was it shocked me that he was so nervous but he kept saying afterwards what have you said no and i'm like mm -hmm. i would never say no i know who I, I you know we've been together for a long time i love you and all but he was nervous yeah because we don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't. You could have been mad with us that morning and, you know, like, I'm going to take this all day. So we don't know. Well, that is beautiful. Um, and, you know, we so much time is spent planning and engagement, you know, the, the right ring and 
where am I going to do it? What am I going to say? So that that is awesome. And to do it in New Orleans, I mean, engagement, great food, great weather. Absolutely. The vibe you know, is impeccable. And that's always awesome. And then you remember it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is clear that you made it down the aisle because you said yes. And we talked about y'all are married for four years now. Uh, and the fact that you two love each other unconditionally and with love comes yearning for the blessing of a baby. And the two of you have made your attempt at having a baby, you know, and sharing your love. And Daniela, I remember you sharing the news with me. Uh, I remember sitting there and I got that text message and I'm like, yo, this is so dope. Like, if you could have seen me, you know, during COVID, yeah, COVID is still going on, but like I was literally like out of my seat, happy for you guys because it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, and it was su- such a great announcement, of course. When you, or I, as I said, what are the feelings and emotions that came over you, Daniela? Because moms always know first. Uh, when you saw that pr- initial pregnancy test. I was, I was speechless. I was so happy and... I, I was, I remember I tested and it was positive and I was like, oh, I shouldn't tell him yet. I should wait and surprise him, like plan it out. But I literally ran downstairs to him and I just was like showing the thing in the air and he, you know, he's like, what? And then he sees it and he's like, oh my God, oh my God, this, this is a blessing. This is beautiful. We were overjoyed. We had no words. It was, it was just, and I talk a lot, but we had no words. I was speechless. I was it was everything that we wanted at that point because we've been married, I think, for like a year and a half, two years, and we've been trying for a while, and then boom, it happened. It was the biggest blessing. Wow, that is beautiful. And, and that joy, it, it really is joy that you feel oh. when you are like, we're gonna be, we're gonna be parents. And then it's like, yo. So, so Saul, what was your reaction when she was waving that pregnancy test around and you were able to see the plus or the word pregnant or whatever. And you were like, I'm going to be a daddy. What, what was your reaction? I was happy. I was, I was, I was beyond happy. I was like, okay, we did it. It works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it does work. It's, it's in there. So I, I was nice. beyond ecstatic. I was very happy. Awesome. 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 And as I don't know if you listeners can hear, but they are very in tune with their families and their parents. Um, so what was the, the reaction from the family? Oh, my God. His mom, we, we actually told his parents first. Mm-hmm. His mom was crying. Mm-hmm. I actually had bought like a pair of um, boots, boots? Like baby or, boots. Yeah. They were, I remember they were gray mm-hmm. and. I just was like, oh, we brought you. I tried to be so nonchalant because I didn't want to mm-hmm. give it. And she opened it and she's just looking at us. And she immediately started crying. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, it was like t- real tears coming down her just face. Joy. They weren't stopping. She was like, oh, I'm so ready to be a grandma. Mm-hmm. And then we told my parents and they screamed and they were happy. <laughs> His dad was happy. Everyone was happy. We had a lot of support. It was just joy all around. That is incredible. And, you know, the, because there was, lineage was continuing. Yes. You know, and parents are like, okay, I done raised you. 
You know, you done came in and broke all my stuff and gave me headaches. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Oh, and now you're going to give me a grandbaby. Great. Who I don't care if they come over and break things and give me headaches. Like, that's their job. Yeah. And as a grandparent, I'm ready to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a minute. This is the same thing that I did, but, you know, it's different. Yep, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you begin to go through the process, you know, attending OB appointments, taking those, you know, horse pills they call prenatal vitamins or the gummies because, you know, medicine has changed. Yeah. All the things that, you know, lead up to the excitement of meeting that precious baby. Um, But then something started to feel off. Yes. Something started to feel off for me it was literally as soon as i turned 12 weeks pregnant so three months as soon as the third month third yeah 12 weeks pregnant i started to feel really off i had a lot of pressure i had a lot of pain in like my lower abdomen and i i didn't tell anyone for like a week because i'm thinking like maybe this is normal i've never been pregnant before and Mm -hmm. then towards the end of the week i shared with like women in my family and they're like that's not normal like you really need to call the doctor so I called the doctor I got checked um this was back when you couldn't even bring your significant other to the appointments because of the pandemic so I was going alone and I was very nervous and the doctor was like no this isn't a big deal um you know some women just you know carry low so you just have pressure, but it, you know, you're fine. Baby's fine. They kept checking the heartbeat and the heartbeat was always there. And so it's like, you're just fine. You'll be fine. And I actually got a, I was scheduled with a maternal fetal medicine doctor, which is the high risk doctor. And they checked me as well. They did an ultrasound, a very quick ultrasound. Um, heartbeat's there. You're good. It's just, uh, the, the pressure that you get with pregnancy, baby, you're carrying baby low, you'll be fine. As the weeks progressed from 12 weeks to 18 weeks and five days, the pressure got worse. And we used to always take um, walks in the afternoon. We used to walk the dog together and it wasn't even far. It was just around the block, 10 minute walk. And I remember that one day I must've been like 16 weeks pregnant and the pressure I could not walk anymore. It was so strong. And I, I called the doctor again. And at this point, I'm really upset on the phone. I'm like, I don't, I feel like you're missing something. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not making this up. Like, I have real pain and something's not right. Like, I know something's not right. And they didn't want to schedule me in anymore. They're like, no, you're fine. You just have pressure. If anything, just keep your feet up for a couple hours. Everything will be fine. So I stopped walking. Like I, I was just mostly home. And because we were working from home at that time, I, I didn't mm-hmm. have to report to, to a location. So that was fine. And I it was that one day, one night, I turned 18 weeks and five days. I was home alone at night because he works the night shift. Mm-hmm. And it was time to go to sleep. I'm on the bed, ready to go to sleep. And I just feel this gush of water. And it was like a waterfall. Like, I mean, it wouldn't stop. And um, I I was in shock. I, I immediately called him and I'm screaming on the phone like something's wrong. I didn't even, it didn't even register that it was my water that had ruptured. 
I really didn't know what was going on. I was terrified and I'm crying and I'm screaming. And I remember just praying over and over and over and over again. And he left his job and he came home and it took him like 10, 15 minutes to get home. And it felt like five hours. And I just was, the water wouldn't stop. And so we went to the first hospital and I remember that they wheeled me in and they checked me and they told me that my water had ruptured and I was still leaking, but because it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, like a, I'm losing my words. It wasn't a maternal hospital. Okay. They, Equipped to yeah. They babies. had to transfer me to another hospital um, put me in an ambulance with him the whole ride there. I just felt like it was getting dark. Like it was just darkness surrounding me. I can't explain it any other way. And I'm crying and I'm praying and I'm praying and we get there and they wheel me up to the um, maternity unit and they do an ultrasound and no one wants to ever hear these words, but they're like, you know, this, you can't continue the pregnancy. Your water's broken. You have barely any water left. There was still a heartbeat, but at that point, there's a high risk of infection. And so mm -hmm. it's not recommended to continue the pregnancy. And so we had the miscarriage. It was the worst experience of my life. It was horrible. And it feels good that I get to talk about this now because I couldn't talk about this a year ago. I don't think I could mm -hmm. talk about this six months ago, but it was it was horrible. Hmm. So, so do you feel that the physicians took you seriously when you were letting them know, hey, this is what's going on. And do, do you feel they took you seriously? Absolutely not. I think I had the worst um, care ever. I I did my part in following up so much every week. I mean, I mm. was calling. I was blowing up their phone. I was calling the um, regular um, OBG and I was calling the maternal fetal medicine Every week I was speaking to the managers, I was speaking to the secretaries, I was speaking to the doctors at some point, the residents that they had, and no one took me seriously. And then when I did have the one appointment at each office, they did such a quick check on me. They didn't even, looking back, they didn't even check my cervical length or anything like that to see what was really going on. They didn't even address mm -hmm. my concerns. They just checked for the heartbeat and that was it. And I mean, I had some, I had some real things, some, some real issues going on that could have been prevented. The worst part of it all is that looking back, we could have had a full pregnancy had the doctors taken me serious. So wow. I feel like we did not have the right care at all. They just really did not take us serious. All right. They, they didn't provide the care that they took the oath to yes, provide. Exactly. We, we're in a state where everyone's talking about accountability. And I feel that accountability needs to be taken, especially if you are someone who is responsible for that guiding of life into this world. Accountability needs to be, be taken. Yes. And it doesn't matter if I walk into your office and I'm pink or blue or white or gold or yellow or black or Spanish. I should be treated with the same care and respect that you would treat anybody with. Yep. And, 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 you know, it sucks that 
race always has to come into play or color always has to come into play. But I do have to ask, do you feel that some of your calls and things weren't taken as serious because you're a woman of color and women of color are supposed to be these strong, courageous, resilient, even though you are, but it's like, oh, they're strong, they're courageous, they're resilient, she's got it. Do you feel that any of that may have played a role? Absolutely. And it's so sad that it took this for me to realize because before this, all of my appointments with like medical providers were fine. I never really had any concerns. But I mean, the way that the way that they talked, not that they were disrespectful, but they just they saw how nervous and concerned I was. They saw me walking through the door, how I I literally would have to hold my belly because I was in such pain Mm. and they didn't care. They just simply didn't care. And I honestly feel like it had to do with race. And it's unfortunate that 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 plays into it all. Right. Right. Well, I'm sorry that you had to to experience that um, and prayerfully, you know, after, because the OB gets word. So prayerfully, you know, they thought something or they're doing something in that office so that this doesn't continue to happen to, to families. And I, I can't even say just the women because it's not just you, it's, it's the family. And speaking of, saw, you know, watching your wife go through this and laying next to her as she's telling you how she's in pain and things don't feel right. How did it make you feel watching her go through this and you had no control over anything? It was frustrating. It was, it was number one, it was the height of the pandemic. So it could only be her going into the buildings for these appointments. I would go with her and wait in the parking lot, mm-hmm. which made me feel like, like a taxi driver almost. Like I wanted to be there. I wanted to talk to these doctors as well to, to get to the bottom of why my wife was feeling like this. And I just, there was always a barrier. There was always a secretary or someone else answering the phone who would give her, give us the runaround. And Daniela would go into these appointments and would be out within the hour or within a few minutes at times. And and it, it was frustrating. And just hearing her vent to me, that there were various times where she went to these appointments and she didn't get past the front desk. That's, that's not right. right. We talk about systemic racism with, with, uh, with my career field, which is perfectly normal to address. Mm-hmm. Systemic racism within the medical field. And that has to be addressed and that has to change because no family should go through what we, what we went through. There shouldn't be barriers and it shouldn't come off as a problem to speak to a doctor with our complaints. Mm-hmm. It should be check in, speak to the doctor and look for some solutions. But we didn't get that on numerous times. It, it was very frustrating. But what went through your minds as you know the thought of becoming parents began to turn dark as you were explaining, Daniela, when you were in that ambulance and you're on your way to the other hospital and you know it just started getting dark and then they give you that news you want to go sure um it was a um it's it started off as, as any other night um i'm getting ready for the night shift 
I had it easy that, or I was going to have it easy that night. I was going to work in the office. So I didn't have to deal with the stress of the streets. So just going to answer a few phone calls, do some paperwork, and everything usually dies on around 2 a.m. That was what I was looking forward to. I had my coffee. I had my chips. I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. I get the phone call. And um, it's not uncommon for Daniela to call me while I'm at work. I don't always answer because I'm dealing with public. But when do I get back to it? But this, I was literally just logging in to the computer. And I get a phone call. Oh, this is this is a bit early for Daniela to be calling me. Early for me. My normal hours are throughout the night. Right. So I answer the phone call. I'm like, hey, baby, what's going on? And she's screaming. And all I heard or was able to comprehend was um, that she was leaking a lot of fluid. I was like, okay, this isn't normal. So I'm like being a positive, uh, positively minded person that I am. Like, all right, you know what, baby, I'll, I'll be right there. Take care. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get you. You know, I'll, I'll be right there, right next to you. Um, but if we gotta go to the hospital, go to the hospital. That's fine. Give me give me that 10, 15 minutes to, to rush back home. Looked over to my supervisor. Uh, they let me go. Um, I left everything and I just got in my car and beelined it up back home. I got home as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. and I rushed upstairs and it was it was a, it was a puddle. I'm like, okay, this, this is serious. So I'm like, all right, let me uh, help you get dressed. Go downstairs. My car's still running. Um, get, get in the car and we go to the closest. There were about three hospitals that are near us, but one is really, really close to us. So I decided, okay, okay let that, I know they have an emergency room. I've been in plenty of emergency rooms. So I'm like, all right, this. Uh, this should be easy. Let's get her in. Let's get her taken care of. And let's relax. This this moment of panic is going to pass us, is what I was thinking at the the time. Drive up. I'm still in uniform. I never changed. So Mm -hmm. I'm still in uniform. I run up to the security guard, and I just blurted out, my wife's water broke. He hands me a wheelchair. I put her in the wheelchair. We rush to the back room of the hospital. And about five or six nurses and including a doctor came in to uh you know do that everybody has their jobs and someone's uh blood pressure someone's asking a question someone asking mm-hmm. questions um i remember this one nurse and this is where me thinking that my panic would die down um just took a left turn this one nurse leans over to daniela and she goes, um, this is happening. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And I, I broke down at that moment. There was, I knew that this was serious. And in the, the hope that I had in my mind to, to get this taken care of, to put a bandage on the situation, was gone. At, at that moment, I knew that this is a nightmare that just begun. Mm-hmm. And wow. I would say, like, he's a very, he's a very, very positive person. Even when things look like bad or dark, he's very positive. And I'm very realistic. Um, so, and, and being the one that was pregnant, when my water broke, 
which at the time I, I, I wasn't thinking, I was just in shock. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I, I grabbed my belly. It just felt empty. And so I just had to, I knew that I had a feeling I should say that it wasn't going to end right. And like when we were driving to the hospital, I kept saying like, I'm losing the baby. I'm losing the baby. And he's like, no, everything's going to be fine. He, you could hear it in his voice. Like he had so much hope that it was all going to be okay. Mm. But I, I knew that, that it wasn't going to be okay. And we had prayed so much for this baby. We had been praying with our family. Um, we had been, been, been praying the two of us. We had so much hope. Um, we were ready to start this new journey and it was just all taken away. That's how it felt. It felt Mm -hmm. like we were robbed. It felt like we were, this opportunity was, was stolen from us. And the worst part of it all is afterwards hearing from other doctors. When I started, I started to do some real research on what happened to me because we, decided to do an autopsy on the baby to see what went wrong. If it was an infection, what what was it? And it was just that I had a cervical issue. So once I learned that, and and then I learned that like the doctors could have prevented this, like not, not prevent, but they could have done something to, to make me get to 30 weeks per se, Mm -hmm. not 18 weeks and five days. Um, And so when I, did my research and I started talking to doctors, to different doctors and hearing what they had to say. I, weeks had passed after the loss and I was just so angry. I was so angry because I felt like had I had a different doctor that would have advocated for me, things mm-hmm. would have been very different. And it was especially hard when we started reaching what would have been the baby's due date, yeah. which would have been April 27th, 2021. I was so angry that what was supposed to be a joyful event turned into this day that I didn't even want to experience because it was just not going to happen. Right. And right. And, you know, your feelings being, being absolutely correct, you know, the anger, the sadness, you're allowed to, both of you are allowed to feel however it is that, you wanted to feel, you felt you needed to feel because they're your feelings. And there's no, there's no, you know, sorry card or there's no phone call from a doctor's office that could take back the work they neglected to do as physicians that could, that could ever fix that. Um, but did did the physician's office ever reach out to you after the fact? They did, but in the wrong way. Yeah. So what they did was they didn't take me off as a patient, even though once I lost the baby, I reached out to them. I complained. They acted like they were going to do something, like they were going to give me a call and apologize. That never happened. If anything, I kept getting automatic calls, mm-hmm. like as a patient all the time and that would anger me so much because i'm thinking like the least you could do is take me off knowing right. that i switched doctors i had everything transferred over um they they never reached out to me they 
they never reached out to me giving me an explanation or just a call to, to check in with me after mm -hmm. the miscarriage. They didn't do any of that. And they could have because at the hospital that I ended up having the actual miscarriage, um, they asked for my doctor's information and I had to right. give them that because they have to send that over. They mm -hmm. never cared to reach out to me to check up on me to see how I was doing physically, emotionally, mentally, none of that. Wow. I, I am positive that we'll eventually get to a point where everybody's held accountable for their actions. Um, so I'm definitely, you know, optimistic on that because no one should have to go through that. And, you know, the doctor just move on to the next patient as if you, you two never happened. Yeah. Now, go, going through all of that together and then, you know, having to turn around because we've made, you've made the announcement. Mm -hmm. So now people are going to begin to ask, oh, how is it coming along? And, and you don't want to have to answer those questions, of course. So what was it like to have to break the news to those you previously shared it with that the pregnancy, you know, had been terminated? It was brutal. It was... Every time that I had to, sh we had to share that information, it was like we were going through it all over again because people, people ask questions like, mm -hmm. oh, why? What happened? I'm so sorry. You know, people ask and people want to know. And it's like every single time you break the news to, to someone, you have to explain what happened or you feel like you have to explain what happened. And now you're experiencing this all over again, especially because we broke the news to, Everyone, Everyone like the on next, social media. Yeah. And it, so we have to follow through. I didn't want people reaching out to me and telling me, oh, another month, you're almost there. It was mm -hmm. really hard. And it changed the way that I did things moving forward. I, I will add on to that. It was, it was very difficult, but I was very thankful that um, my, I was at work, obviously. So when I left to go pick up Daniela, I would call periodically back to work, just giving them updates like, hey, I don't think I'm coming back to work tonight. This is serious. And I would just give them little snippets here and there. And I, I did call my supervisors and I, I let them know what happened. Um, and my platoon was very, very supportive of, of me that night, of us that night. Um, one of my old partners actually came to the hospital to drive me home to change, to come back to the hospital. We were going to be there for a few days. And they did, this was during a time where vacation is very uh, restricted. It's a restricted mm -hmm. vacation when this happened. Um, they were, my supervisors were, were more than willing to work with me to keep me at home and not at work, balancing me taking of approved vacation time and sick time so that I wouldn't get in trouble. And also individual uh, people that I work with reaching out to me, letting me know that they went through similar situations with, with their spouses. And, and it didn't hit me until I saw them in person when I went back to work. And it just felt, it, it felt comforting. It was very comforting to have not only your support system at home, but, and, and obviously you for Daniela Terry, uh, but just having people at work that truly do care about you and just knowing that you are going through this horrible situation 
but the, the support system at work, that second family that is there truly comforting you and looking out for you, that can't be understated at all. Hmm. Maybe because you spend so much time at work. At work you know, yeah. People are like eight hours of a day and it's like, yeah. Why? And you're, that's the eight hours awake. And for you, so it could be 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, it's like your eyes are open the majority of the day at work, mm-hmm. not at home. So yeah. it, it's definitely, you know, comforting and refreshing to know that you both had that support system and still have that support system. And then I know your parents were there, you know, for you all and just loving on you and letting you know things will be okay. Uh, and that this isn't it. You know, there's going to be something else that happens and your story is going to be able to help so many people who are, are going through it, have gone through it, may go through it in the future, but it'll also bring awareness that I remember I heard that girl say, I can't remember her name, but I remember I heard her say on that one podcast about getting the runaround and how she wished she had said this and that. And I'm going to say this because I remember she said that. So, yes, you know, that that is it's it's never easy to go through anything tragic. Uh, however, it's like when you are able to, you know, finally, finally talk about it and let it be a story that someone else can take and can, you know, begin to advocate for themselves if they don't have someone to advocate for them. It, it kind of, um, you know, just begins to make peace in the universe, if, if you will, um, because someone got to hear it. And, you know, someone could be going through it all alone and not have a husband who's supportive and parents and friends and they're just, alone in their own little bubble. So now the story doesn't end with the rainbow. There's a rainbow that comes with this. And the story's not even over. I can't even say it doesn't end because it's still going. Um, But there is a rainbow at the end of the storm because today you two are mommy and daddy to a very (laughs) handsome little guy. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes, we <laughs> Thank are. you. So I was um, that 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 was another thing I was extra happy to hear about that you know you know there there is a baby here which is incredible and you know was was it hard to decide to go again? To be completely honest, it was hard. But the moment when I lost the baby. I knew like more than ever that I wanted to be a mother. Okay. I can't describe the feelings, but it was, it was just, a, it was just certain. It was just, for me, it was set in stone that I wanted this more than I wanted anything else in my life. And losing the baby made me, I mean, I already knew I wanted to be a mother, but it was just an overwhelming feeling. And mm. I, I was ready to try again. And I know that like, it, it's not like that for everyone. Um, after this happened, I actually ended up joining a Facebook group for women who have the pregnancy issue that I have. So I actually had to get something called a surclage, 
which is literally where they stitch you when you're pregnant. So you have to have a surgical procedure during pregnancy oh, wow. so you can sustain the pregnancy. And the majority of women are literally on bed rest for the majority of their pregnancy to carry to close to full term or full term. And once I, I like met this community of women who went through what I went through, it changed everything. Um, mm. And it wasn't just the community. I, I just, I feel like going through this, we became closer to God. And I, I feel like I, I had a, I had a bigger purpose. And although we had our loss, I was very ready to be a mother again, or to try to be a mother. Um, How about you, Saul? I, I agree with Daniela. The, uh, the loss was single-handedly, was and is still the most difficult topic to open up about. It was a, um, it, it was a very, very dark time. Um, helplessness, depression, frustration against everyone. Um, as to why we didn't leave the hospital with that baby in our arms. And the following procedures we have to do to, to make sure that baby was taken care of after mm -hmm. the fact was, was brutal to deal with. And just being at home while the rest of the world moves forward, it felt like the young and I were stuck in, in this dark, dark yeah. place. It, it was it was awful. And but it was also fuel and it, it was hope. It, it was positivity that if we got to that point before we could do it again. Mm. And we decided to try soon afterwards, just out of pure love for each other and to know that we were determined to create a family and it was it it, it, it was immense pain that turned into a um into, into love mm -hmm. and when daniela uh thankfully got pregnant again it was it was we were more focused some of the pandemic rules were were, were loosened it was it was more daniela and the pregnancy was priority number one but and we advocated for her even going out of state for some procedures. Mm -hmm. And we made sure that it, I made sure personally that if a doctor wasn't hearing us out, they would be hearing me out. And, Absolutely. Would, and as you know, those OB rooms are very small. And we have to put our, you know, from the military, we, we have we have our civilian voice and we have our let's go to work voice. And mm -hmm. that's what it was more than a few times. And we made sure to get Daniela the treatment that she deserved, the treatment that every woman deserves. And it didn't matter how far we had to drive, how many out-of-state trip, out trips we had to take to make sure that everything we could do, every, every preventive measure could be in place, was in place, hmm. so that we could bring this baby into this world. Absolutely. And and like you said, there's that, you know, there's that, hey, how you doing? I understand and I totally feel you saw on that. Because right. even when my wife was pregnant and, you know, she had a, a terrible pregnancy, um, there were times where I, you know, I felt we, we ended up at the emergency room a lot. And there were times where I felt the doctor just wasn't being sincere and I step out and leave her in there. And I'm like, uh what's up what's yeah on? exactly and it, it's good that you guys were able to do that you know this time around and like we said the advocacy is vital so for any 
any partner or significant other out there, you know, listening to this episode, please know that advocacy for your spouse or your partner or your loved one who's carrying that baby is, is definitely needed because they can't always be it for themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they need someone to be, to advocate for them who, you know, is right there and who can get stern with the medical professionals who may not be doing the job we think they need to do. It's our insurance that makes sure those medical bills are paid. So hold them, hold them accountable and to your standard, not to any other standard. This is how I want you to treat us. And this is how you're going to treat us. Absolutely. So, but on a, on a happier note, when you look at that little face as you're holding him in your arms, what emotions consume you? Pure joy, pure bliss. Just every word that describes happy, that isn't the word happy, just Mm. blows through my mind. I'm just so in love. Like, forget Daniela now. (laughs) I feel you. It's... It's so cliche what they say. They say once you you meet your baby, you know you fall in love, and like it, there's no love like having a child or the love that you have for your child. But it's so it's true. true because it's such an innocent love mm-hmm. that you have for them, and you know they they're full of joy and innocence, and and you know it took your spouse and yourself to create them. Mm-hmm. They're half of you and they're half of your spouse, and that feeling. You know, especially when you've had such a tough pregnancy to see what it produced, Mm -hmm. it's nothing, nothing can make it better. Yeah. When you see that little face and that little smile and those little eyes, it's just everything. Yeah. It's the ultimate reward. Yeah. And then it it even brings you you closer because you experience so much together and such a little bit of time and people are like a little bit of time nine months is not a little bit of time or eight months but i'm like if you're in it together it's yeah. it goes like that and you're like whoa where did like, it this go kid is here already exactly uh and, and you you know you go through so many different things and you know such a small window mm-hmm. of time and now you know you all have one angel who looks down on you when the clouds move away from the sun and you have one little angel who's here who looks up at you at two in the morning and two thirty and three fifteen. Three forty. So you know the the journey it, it was it was very tough and very traumatic um for you and now then you had another journey where it, it, it produced, you know, a physical fruit. So you have family fruits and you have physical fruits. And I'm happy that the two of you made it through all of that because it could literally break some people, but it, it, did, it didn't break you. It, it kept you. So if you could share some advice with, people who may be going through something similar or who have gone through something similar, what would that advice be? I would say after I had the miscarriage, I felt like a failure. 
I felt like it was all my fault. And I'm not that in that place anymore. And I feel like there must be so many other women who feel that as well. So many other, you know, women and men who feel like they fail their family, like they fail their spouse, like they failed the baby that they lost. And it's really not our fault, you know? I had to forgive the way that I was thinking before to be able to move forward because I felt so guilty. I felt like my body disappointed me. I felt like my body failed my baby. And I had never felt like that before. Um, and it took a lot of forgiving myself. If I had to give advice to other women, give yourself grace and don't blame yourself for what happened. As harsh as it sounds, life goes on and this only makes you stronger as a person. And if you're, you're with a spouse or, 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 or boyfriend or partner or significant other, it only makes you as a couple stronger. You rely on each other and take it day by day, but you, you get stronger. And for, for our point of view, being, being the man of the house, being the provider, being the security, it was a uh, feeling of hopelessness. There was, it was, depression was on the table. It was, it was, we were, we were in a dark place, but my advice would be those emotions are normal. You didn't fail your family. You didn't fail your wife. You didn't fail your child. You did everything you could. Sometimes these things happen. And despite all the negative feelings that come through your mind, going through whether, whether it's church or therapy or just venting to a friend, you will get out of that dark place and things do get better. This opportunity, this experience that we went through made us stronger, made us closer, made us appreciate life that much more. And it's awful that it happened that way, but I'm thankful that I was there for Daniela, that Daniela was there for me, and that if someone else is hearing this, you're going to be okay. Be there for your wife, be there for your family, and cry and, and, and let out your emotions. Let out your emotions, and you'll feel that much freer, and that weight will be off of your chest so that you're able to fill that void with love, mm. with positive, with positivity, positive thoughts, whatever that may be for, for whoever's listening to this. Things do yeah. Yeah. And and especially that cry part. Because as, as men, we're told we're supposed to be trees mm -hmm. and just strong. I'm like, but trees cry. If you've ever walked past a tree and you've seen this stuff called sap mm -hmm. that comes down out of the trees, I'm like, listen, I'm it, it, it's either going to produce rage and anger and you're going to take it out somewhere the wrong way, or you can just cry, get up. And, and do what else you got to do at the, after that, but definitely that cry piece. And that's for everybody. Absolutely. Um, so last question before I let you two get back to your beautiful baby. This is not directly connected to the interview. It's just something that new that I'm doing in this season of the podcast. What is one thing you wish people knew about you that most people do not know about me. I'll go first. I feel like people don't know that I 
I feel like I have to be in control of like situations. Um, I wonder if that sounds right. I, whether it's work or whether it's, it's any, anything that we have coming up an event or whatever, I like to be in control. Like I, I want, I like to plan things out. I like to have control over. She wants to be prepared. I want to be prepared. Yes. That's me. I want to be as prepared as possible. And, um, you know, having the miscarriage, I feel like it changed me because I learned that I can't always have control over everything. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we just have to let things be. And that was really, really hard for me to, to process. Um, but I think, I don't know, I feel like it, it, it helped me, um, be who I am now. I feel like sometimes I, like I said, I have to give myself grace and whatever it's going to be, I'm just going to try to be the best I can be throughout whatever situation I'm in. Um, one thing people don't know about me that I think they should is that myself, and I'm sure countless others, but myself, I don't have it all together. Um, we have a beautiful family. I have a career. We have a beautiful home. We have a beautiful baby. But I'm still learning how to do things. Now I'm learning how to be a father. I'm loving every day of it. But I, um, I try and be there for others, and I don't always let people be there for me. Um, it's difficult sometimes but i think that um i'm more i'm much more vulnerable and in tune with my emotions afterwards and i think it's uh i'm still learning how to display that in a uh i guess positive more natural feeling okay that makes sense both both of those were very good i know i took something from both of those well i thank both of you for you know taking this time to talk to me about your journey about you know the pregnancy about the angel that you two have in heaven and you know your your earthly angel that you have here as well and i appreciate both of you and i just want to send a reminder to anybody who you know, has listened to this episode and maybe thinking, well, what's next or what can I do? I'm going to post for you some links in the description of this episode. So you can go down there if you need grief counseling or if you you know need someone to help advocate for you, there'll be some links down there as well for that. Or you can just send me an email and you can send that email to beyondthecoffeetable at outlook.com and I'll help you in whatever ways I can to get the help that you need because we all deserve help if we need it, when we need it. Um, For those of you who are listening in America, this is America. And that is some of the things that this country was built on. And then for those of you listening in other countries, I'll try to help you in whatever ways I can, um, you know, from where I am. But again, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast. Thank you all for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I truly appreciate each of you, and I don't take a single moment that you've spent with me for granted. And all you do, be sure to do it with respect. Remember, the key ingredient is love. And until next time, I wish you nothing less than peace. You are listening to Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast.